Amen. Well, welcome today. We're at Sheber Campus. You're worshiping. We're so glad you're a part of grace today. Thank you for being here. Well, the light was blinding. He instinctively fell to his knees and buried his face in the dirt. I think you would too, in the presence of deity like that. And when he could finally utter the words, he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice responded, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And it's so interesting to me that this man with a mission, Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, it's so interesting, I believe, that after meeting the living Christ face to face, the first thing on his mind is, and he utters it, what shall I do, Lord? This man with a mission knew instinctively that whatever his mission was previously, it was history. The only thing that mattered now was doing the will of God. Now, that really doesn't surprise me as a pastor, because as I've often shared with you through the years, the number one question I've received is, how can I know God's will for my life? Now, it comes in different forms, of course. Sometimes it's about a, a vocation, or sometimes it's about whether I should go to school or not, or something about a relationship, or some financial decision. There's all different forms, but it comes from people of every different educational level, every socioeconomic background, every age and place in life, people want to know, what does God want me to do? And I believe that that concern about God's will is actually increasing in our day. On your note sheet, there's a section that says, why is concern about knowing God's will growing so rapidly? I want to give you a couple of reasons that I believe it's actually escalating, not decreasing. One is the overwhelming number of choices available to us. We have more choices, honestly, than any people who've ever lived in history. Consider, for instance, career choices. Now, I'm considered a bit of a weirdo in my family because I went into ministry. I became a pastor. And as far as I can tell, searching the whole family history, no one was ever in ministry. And after I, as a teenager, let my church know that I sensed that call on my life, I'll never forget my father, who was not a believer, said to my mother, and I quote, who put these crazy ideas in that boy's head, okay? And that's really what he thought, because that was so weird to him that someone would want to actually go into ministry. But you see, centuries ago, it was especially true, you tended to kind of do what your family did, particularly your mother or father. If your dad was a blacksmith, you as a son would probably be a blacksmith. If your family were, were cobblers, uh, you can bet sons and daughters would be cobblers or in some related industry. 
And the only exceptions to that were those rare outliers who were able to push the boundaries and be willing to travel away from home or kind of get out of the accepted norms. But all of that has changed, especially for people in the Western world and other pockets around the globe. Consider another area, whom you should marry. Now again, less than even 100 years ago, in most places around the world, your options were pretty limited. I think I'm being liberal when I say that in most small towns, if you're honestly looking at someone roughly your age that might be appealing to you, you might have 30 or 40 choices available to you in life. Again, the only way that increased is if you traveled, if you moved away, and then you might have uh, more choices. But in small villages, I think it's accurate to say that your options might be limited literally to five or six people, and maybe none of them wowed you, but that was it. Those were your choices, but today, forget about it. With the increasing number of online dating services and with the ease of travel, you literally have millions of options of whom to marry. Now, I didn't say that makes it easy. It's still a challenging question. But people wonder, have I dated enough or met enough of these potential millions of candidates to feel confident that I've found the right person. You see, there's this inherent fear of missing out. Or let's think of something trivial like potato chips. Several years ago, we had a visiting missionary coming to Grace. It was a missions weekend, and we'd invited this person to come, and I'll never forget. He told me he went into a local supermarket. He said, I was overwhelmed. He said, I walked down an aisle, and I was literally paralyzed. He said, in the little village where we serve, uh, in on, on an island just southeast of Asia, we have potato chips, one kind, potato chips. They're plain, there they are, we have them, take them or leave them. He said, I walked down that aisle, I couldn't believe it. I counted, he said, over four dozen varieties of potato chips in one supermarket aisle. Now, we could go on and on with this, right? Options on places to vacation, clothing to buy, cars that you might want to drive. Decisions can become overwhelming. And faced with such a diversity of options, many people have this growing anxiety, this fear of missing out. What am I missing out on here? I think a second factor that's accelerated this concern about knowing God's will is social media. Now, just 50 years ago, if you wanted to find out how somebody was doing that you'd gone to school with, you might have to go to a class reunion or maybe pick up the phone and call a mutual friend. But today, with one touch of the pad or one click of a, of a button, you can See in living color all the wonderful updates on everyone's life. And everyone's life is perfect online. I mean, there's romance online. It's obvious. 
There's no financial pressure. People are flourishing. You see these hypnotic messages of joy and wonderment and the perpetual ecstasy of a life lived out on social media. And again, these images leave us wondering, wow, should I have taken a different path in life? What am I missing out on here? And there's this growing anxiety and this fear of missing out. We begin a new series today, F-O-M-O, Fear of Missing Out, How to Know God's Plan. And I've entitled this sermon, God's Will, Who Cares? And I want to talk to you today about who should care most about that question. Or, to put it a bit differently, for whom is this series that we kick off today most timely and relevant? I believe there are three groups of people that are going to get the most out of this series. I think everyone will benefit. But if you find yourself in one or more of these categories, listen, this is going to be a treasure trove of help for you. First, for those facing major decisions with long-term implications. Now, don't get me wrong. This series will help people who are facing minor decisions as well. If you're one who tends to pause in front of your closet every weekday morning for 30 minutes and ponder, hmm, what should I wear? The green shirt or the brown shirt? God's got a message for you in this series too. God is saying to you, I don't care. Get dressed or you're going to be late for work, all right? We're going to learn a lot together. But if you're facing major decisions, that's different. And I'm convinced that is a huge number among us. Now, don't blurt out your answer, please. But think about it in your mind right now. What major decisions lie immediately? They're, they're on you right now or in your near future. Financial decisions you have to make. Decisions about a direction with school. Should I go or not? Where should I go? Questions about relationships. What should I do with this? Should I... Break this off. Should I continue? Could I, should I accelerate the intensity and involvement here? Questions within marriage. Questions related to your workplace and your vocation. Questions about which sport should you put your four-year-old into because surely he's going to be a professional athlete. Okay? This series is going to help you with all of these decisions and many, many more. And one of the things we're going to learn together is that God typically wants us to take responsibility and get actively involved in the decision-making process. Now, here's what I find as a pastor. Many people I talk to really want God to guide them like he guided the Old Testament Israelites. You remember how he guided them when they were in the wilderness? A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. It was so easy. They literally followed the cloud. You talk about guidance. I mean, it was so simple. They said, oh, look, the cloud is moving. And when they saw the cloud moving, they struck their tents, they packed everything up, and they moved with the cloud. Wouldn't it be cool to have your personal cloud guiding you? Wouldn't that be neat? It just kind of resides outside, maybe over your driveway or something. And when you wonder, well, 
what house should we buy? We know we need to move. What house should we buy? Hey, honey, look, the cloud is moving. Let's pack up the minivan. Let's follow the cloud. You don't need Zillow or anything. You don't need a broker. You don't need an agent. You just follow the cloud, and it goes into a neighborhood, and there's music playing in the background, and literally it settles right over a house. You go, there it is. It's amazing. That's the way God guided those people. But do you know why he guided them in such a supernatural and obvious way? Because they were brand new at this guidance thing. In fact, God literally referred to them as infants. And what we find is that today, God does guide supernaturally. And we're going to look at some examples of that and talk about that a bit in this series. But as we mature in Christ, while God may at times do the pillar of fire trick, okay, he does that today, I hope you know, Normally, God calls us as we mature to take more responsibility in these complex decisions of life. The second group I think this series is really going to hit home for is those who are going through a valley. Whoa. What is it about a valley that causes us to question God's will? I believe that many solid Christians and many people who are on the periphery of belief have come to understand this message. They've gotten it somewhere. Somewhere they've picked up the message that surely if there's any discomfort, any hardship, I cannot be in God's will. Where did that message come from? It sure didn't come from the Bible. So wherever it came from, it didn't come from the Bible. What we're going to learn in this series, this is a huge lesson of life, that just because you're going through a valley today doesn't necessarily mean you took a wrong turn. In fact, can I encourage you? The only way to the mountaintop is through the valley. The only way God's going to get you to the mountaintop in character, in your career, in relationships, in life where he wants you to be, you're going to have to go through some valleys. And the cool thing is, God does more character development and more other neat things in the valley than he does typically just about anywhere else. Well, I think there's a third group that will find this series one of the most refreshing an encouraging series you've ever heard, and that is those who feel like you missed God's A plan. You missed God's A plan, and I think that's a bunch of us. Now, two weeks from now, I don't want you to miss it, not next week, but the week after next, two weeks from today, we're going to jump head first into this question, what if I just have this real strong suspicion that I've blown it? I married the wrong person. Wow, I missed that big job opportunity, that open door, and I'm just so afraid that nothing like that is ever going to come around again. Or I went through this season in my life who I, where I really just tanked out and hit rock bottom morally. What do you do then? Is this hopeless? Some of you today feel 
like you're a support actor in a boring B-grade movie when what God really had for you was a star role in a blockbuster. Two weeks from today, we're going to tackle that. Can God restore the years that the locusts have eaten? What happens when we take some bad turns, go down some wrong roads, make some horrible decisions? How does God feel about that? And what about plan B? You see, every Christian should be concerned about this topic. Why? Because if you're a true Christian, you want to be accountable to God. You want his plan. You yearn to be in the center of his will. Because you know that he's calling you to be a good steward. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. God, Paul says, look, our whole goal in life, our whole ambition is to please God, to do his will. That's what it's all about. And listen to this next verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may be recompensed. That word means paid back or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And surely none of us want to be that one talent guy who hears you wicked, lazy servant. We all, we all want to be that two or that five talent person who hears our Lord say one day, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And this series is going to help us be incredible stewards of this one and only life. Now let me turn a huge corner here. Again, today in this introductory message, we're just kind of setting up the whole thing. I think this is going to be one of the most exciting series that we've ever uh, engaged in together. But I want to ask this question, what are some metaphors to describe God's will? You know what I've discovered as I've read all kinds of books and articles and interviewed lots of people? And by the way, on your note sheet on the back, you see a huge, huge section of resources. These are the resources that I'm consulting for this series. Now, along the way... We're not going to put that on there every week and take up all the space, but along the way, I'm going to highlight a few of those. They're all good resources, but I'm going to highlight a few of them that I think are especially helpful. But here's what I've found as I've interviewed lots of different Christians, long-time Christians, new, newcomers to the faith. Can I, can I be blunt with you? It's a wilderness out there. I mean, people are all over the place on this topic. No wonder there's so much confusion. One person says, you want to know God's will? Love God and do as you please, baby. That's literally a philosophy. Love God, do as you please. Someone else said, oh, no, no, no. That's scary. My goodness. God's got a blueprint, and your job as a follower is to agonizingly pursue that until you find his perfect will. Another says, you want to know God's will? Just follow your desires. He says, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Another recalls and says, no way. In fact, if you want to know God's will, your heart is so deceitful, you'd audit, you better just do the opposite of what you desire, and you know you're pretty well going to hit God's will every time. Well, who's right here? 
There's so much confusion out there. Another says, you want to know God's will? Do only what is rational. Because God is rational. He's never going to tell you something that's illogical. Another says, what are you talking about? Scripture says, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. It was irrational and illogical. So the one thing we know about God's will is it's probably going to be a bit irrational or illogical. Another says, I'll tell you the secret, sister. Put out a fleece. Anytime I really want to know God's will, I just do like Gideon did. I just put a fleece out there and ask God to show me a special sign. Another person says, no, wait a minute. Fleeces are signs of doubt and disbelief. You should never use a fleece as a Christian. Ah! Do you see why there's so much confusion? There's so many different messages and fear of missing out takes the day. So I want to mention two extreme metaphors that I would urge you to reject and a third one that I'm going to ask you to embrace as we do this series together. The first metaphor is God's will as a freight train. Now think of that in your mind. God's will as a freight train. I speak here of a sort of fatalistic determinism where free will is stripped away. Imagine a freight train running on pre-established tracks, unalterable, unstoppable. I'm told that a freight train going 50 miles an hour can burst through several feet of concrete without even wavering. And people who have this view of God's will have their pet proof texts that they believe support it, but I would beg to differ. For the record, I'm very strong on God's sovereignty. I believe that God is not only ultimately in control of this universe he created, but I believe he actually allows evil and uses evil for his purposes. Yes, you heard me right. I think he works even through men's evil deeds to accomplish his ultimate will. But hear me today, as amazing as God's sovereignty is, it never eradicates or nullifies our free will. So I want to be very blunt now. I urge you to reject any view of God's will where everything is pre-programmed and your choices make no difference whatsoever. In other words, if you have a view of God's will where you just bought a red Honda Pilot and you say, well, it was predetermined from the foundation of the world. God wrote it down that that's what was going to happen. I had no choice about it. Had to do it. I think that's nuts. If you have a view of God's will where when you Fall down, God's, uh, fall down a flight of steps and you almost break your neck, you should probably just get up and say, well, thank God that's over, right? Because it was predetermined from the foundation of the world. I would urge you to reject that view. I think there are people who push God's sovereignty to unhealthy and unbiblical extremes. We're going to talk more about that in this series. There's a second metaphor that I would urge you to reject, and that is what I'm going to call God's will as Forrest Gump theology. Now, I'm assuming that most of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump, some of you probably about 50 times or more, okay? You remember Forrest's mother? She had a profound theology. Remember what it was? 
My mama says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? And so Forrest Gump theology comes out throughout the movie. Remember how the movie starts and ends? It starts and ends the same way. There's this little feather that's just floating in the breeze. Remember that? And it's just being blown. It's kind of purposeless and uncertain and whimsical. And that message comes through poignantly in the movie where Bubba is dying on the battlefield in Vietnam. And he says, Forrest, why did this happen? And Forrest admit that he doesn't know. But the implication is that life is just this series of meaningless, random acts, utterly purposeless and void. God is kind of this divine clockmaker who set it up with all these laws and then left it to run on its own. So, in Forrest Gump theology, don't expect God to really be involved at all. You want to talk about God's will? Here's God's will. Here's the best advice I can give you. Good luck. Good luck. Make your choices. Enjoy your random box of chocolates. That's Forrest Gump theology. Again, I want to be very blunt. I think that view is not only unbiblical, I think it is downright dangerous. And I've noticed for people who sway that way and adopt that view, it strips away all motivation, really, to prayerfully seek God's personal will. Because in that view, there is no personal will of God for you at all. Just a random box of chocolates. So good luck. So in contrast to the freight train metaphor and the Forrest Gump metaphor, I'm going to suggest a third one that I believe is biblical. God's will as a journey. I think this is the primary biblical metaphor of guidance, and I'm going to use it over and over again in the series. In other words, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he didn't just come by that in pure imagination. This idea of pilgrim on his way to the celestial city, walking with God. No, it's biblical. He got it right out of the Bible, really. Not the name, necessarily. But the reason that is such a gripping metaphor and allegory is that it is so ultimately biblical. The Bible talks about God guiding us as we walk in relationship with him. It's a step-by-step, day-by-day journey on the way to the celestial city. And the Holy Spirit is our guide. So, you want to know the key to guidance? Get to know your guide. Listen to him. Learn his voice. He knows where he's going. He knows the way. Your guide is the key. As one pastor I greatly respect, as we were talking about this whole topic of God's will, he said to me, and oh, I love this, he said, I never worried much about the will of God. I just got really close to Jesus. Oh, I like that. That is biblical theology right there for guidance. You want to get to know your guide really well. Now, we could spend an hour looking at verses that talk about this. I just want to give you a few. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
How about Psalm 32 8? Great verse for guidance. God says, I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God literally says, look, I promise, I am going to guide you with my eye on you. I'm going to guide you which way to go. John 16, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, catch this, he will guide you into all truth. Romans 8, 14, you want to know who the real people are who belong to Christ, who are followers of the living God, the men and women? What marks them? Those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. Isaiah 58, the Lord will guide you always. I love Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, that's not a political statement, by the way. Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. There are so many more, but there's just a few that show life as a journey with the Holy Spirit as our guide. He gives us only the light we need. If he gave us all the way to the end of the road, it would create all kinds of complications. Now, next weekend is Mother's Day weekend. And we're going to jump right in that weekend, one week from today, into this whole question of how will God guide me? I'm going to have you open your Bible up or find it on your device. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts that is an amazing paradigm of guidance where we're going to get all kinds of principles that we'll unpack in the following weeks. But right now, I want to close out today's message by asking one final question. Why? Why do I really need guidance? Well, first of all, I think we need it because God knows me better than anyone else. If you're sitting there today wondering, how relevant, how important is this for me? I want to tell you, God knows you better than anyone. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And then catch this amazing phrase. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows you better than anyone else. He knows all of your propensities and possibilities. He knows better than anyone else where, what you should do and where you should be. He knows what you're capable of becoming. Jesus looked at Simon Peter, and most people would have seen a pile of shifting sand. But Jesus said, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but I'm calling you Peter the rock. And that's indeed what he became. Young people, I want to say to you, God is interested in both your character, hear me, and your career. Not just your character, not just your career. He's interested in you completely, every part of you. He's interested in you not just now when you're young. He's interested in the autumn and winter years of your life when the final chapters are being written. You need his guidance. 
and I do too, because no one can guide us like he can. And when he's guiding you, believe me, he really begins to minimize that fear of missing out because he's right there with you. He's relevant. He's spot on. He's in the moment. And you have this growing confidence that you're right in the center of his will. Second, we need God's guidance because God knows the future better than anyone else. Scripture puts it like this. Scripture says he knows the end from the beginning. Now, millennials in the Western world are increasingly enamored with astrology. I don't know if you're aware, but this is a growing phenomenon in our culture. Just this week, I read an article entitled, How Many People Actually Believe in Astrology? And the author, a PhD, Nicholas Campion, reported that in one of his focus groups of 18 to 21-year-olds, get this now, 18 to 21-year-olds, 70% of them read a horoscope column at least once a month, and 51% valued its advice. Wall Street analysts prognosticate about the future. Millions of Americans consult psychic guides and mediums, mostly with this desire, this insatiable yearning to know what the future holds. Meteorologists and those who study climate change make educated guesses about the seismic shifts in our atmospheric conditions. Are you listening to me today? We can make our guesses but no one knows the future. We can conjecture, but we cannot foresee. Only God knows the future. That means decisions you make now can be epic. Ask any married person if marriage is an epic decision. You'll probably get an earful, okay? Marriage can be a heaven below or a hell on earth. It can be a dream boat or a shipwreck. And astrology won't help you with that. Hey, I've got a suggestion. Instead of consulting the stars, why don't you consult the one who made the stars and put them into place? Now there's where you'll get some real good, valuable guidance. Only God knows the future. And third and finally, I need God's guidance because God's purpose for me is better than anyone else's. You see, for every human being made in the image of God, there is a preconceived divine plan and intention. Listen, that God alone knows. God's image in you and his plan for you is what gives your life eternal purpose. Now, if you believe you're just a speck in the universe, a cosmic accident, a meaningless mass of tissue, then I'll grant you, if that's the way it really is, life is just savage chaos. Good luck. Good luck out there. But if you believe like I do, that you are the beloved design of a divine creator 
who not only stamped his image on you, but made you literally, literally one of a kind. No one else like you. In other words, no one else can live the life he designed you to live. No one else can fulfill the purpose he designed you to fulfill. Then that means that every day is infused with meaning. And one of the most important things I can do in this life is to pursue that purpose on journey with him. That's what this series is all about. Oh, folks, I want to tell you. If you had seen me on that farm, little boy growing up in Leoma, Tennessee, honestly, honestly, you would have said, I just don't see much hope here. There's not much gifting. There's certainly no family pedigree to be proud of. No education. Extreme shyness. Not a lot to be hopeful about. No open doors, no opportunities, no one to even champion me. But God had a purpose. And I am so thankful for his guidance. And I want that for you. Oh, I know your journey is going to be different, but I stand here today and give you testimony that there is no life more exhilarating than being on journey with God into the future that he has for you. Let's do that journey together. Father, thank you for what your word tells us about your will. It's magnificent and mysterious. It's sometimes a bit puzzling to us with our limited human understanding. But you've got a plan. And that gives us enormous confidence and courage and hope. Father, I thank you for everyone who will go on this journey with us through this series about finding your plan. And I pray as we go that that fear of missing out would just be minimized as we get to know our guide better and the great great principles that you have for us as we make our way to the celestial city and we pray all of this in Jesus name amen